I have everything you could want in life. Why am I still empty? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. Hey, I was just thinking about uh, a random story. Uh-oh. Talk a, talk about <laughs> random. Talk about random. Okay. I'm sitting on I'm sitting on uh, like in our front room at our house in high school, and this cop shows up at the door, and I think you were with him. And with, with the police officer. Yeah, oh with no, the police no, officer. is that where we're gonna go? <laughs> with the police officer, and, and then uh, so like it comes out. Like you had picked up a block of cheese or something, and oh throw, man, and thrown it in a grocery store. Like, oh gosh, man, yeah. So let, let me. All right. <laughs> so I actually, it actually what the me, heck, man? It actually earned me a nickname for a while as Cheese Boy with all my friends. So you know, like in like the Diary of a Wimpy Kid, there's the cheese touch. I was a cheese boy. So we went into like the the store to get some stuff to go have s'mores up the canyon. And one of my friends just in passing said, I bet you can't throw this over five aisles. So I just grabbed it and hucked it. And <laughs> a big and I heard block it, of cheese. A bit like a big, it's a big, it was soft, you know, so it wasn't gonna yeah. hurt people, but it was a soft piece, soft cheese. And I just chucked it <laughs> and I I heard something break on the other side. And so I was like, oh man, I better go figure out what I broke. And I was gonna pay for it. So I I go walking around to go see what I broke. And there was an undercover cop there and he arrested me. <laughs> and, uh, so, so I got arrested and I, my, I got dragged home to mom and dad and they, they pressed charges on me for vandalism. So the, the funniest part of the story is that I had to go to crime school as a 17 year old kid. <laughs> and, and it was like, it was like a 12 step meeting setup where you go into crime school and there's like these 13 year old kids in there. And then there's me as a 17 year old. And they're like, all right, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go around the circle and everybody say what you did. And like, there's kids and they're like, yeah, I've got, I've got an, I've got an armed robbery. The like other, auto other kids like I, I've got grand theft auto. And they're like, what did you do? And I'm like, I'm, I'm here for vandalism. They're like, no, what did you do? And I'm like, I threw a brick of cheese in the grocery store. <laughs> and she's like, these like 13 year old kids are just like mocking me. Like, ah, like so funny. Like, you know, it's like, oh man, I'm never going to live that one down. So yeah, yeah. I, I had a criminal record as an, as an adolescent. You were a was, wild young man. <laughs> I did you a lot were, of other things that I never got caught for, but for some reason that one sent me to throwing. crime school. <laughs> so yeah, thanks, thanks for bringing that one out of the archives. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was one of my proudest moments <laughs> for my older brother. Yeah, I bet it was. Wow. It was, wow he made it, was, it five aisles. <laughs> it was probably the prouder moment because you realized that I was human and that there was actually problems with me at that point. <laughs> yeah, I did think that. What's yeah, my brother's got problems throwing cheese in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, Anyways. Yeah. All right, man. Um, yeah. Um, well, all right, let's get into the topic. You ready? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Shifting from cheese to <laughs> to the topic here. You know what's um, really cool about that too is is that I, I also am pretty good friends now with a guy who works for a cheese factory. Oh so no. I get, 
I get, a, I literally good. get a big box of cheese every single month from him. And it's just like the best thing in the world. Do you and your daughters go out and see you can throw it the farthest? <laughs> <laughs> We've graduated to like water balloon launchers, you know, like see how far we can. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh man. Sorry. We're off topic, man. Let's yeah. get back to it. All right. So here's the topic. Um, you know, midlife here, midlife crisis, you know, um, it just seems like a lot of people I know, whether it's clients or friends or family, um, they just feel a sense of uh, depression or void, no matter how good their life is going. Um, they might be making good money. Um, marriage is okay. There's not major problems. Um, but they just lack something. And um, they just go through the motions. They do the same thing again and again and again. And they kind of get in the doldrums a little bit. And I just wanted to talk to you today about why that happens and what can be done to get out of that. Yeah, I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're covering this topic today, Brandon, because I think just on a very personal level with like people in my own life, my best friends and family, even and myself from time to time, like I, I catch myself like looking myself in the mirror and going, Tyler, like you have an awesome life. Like you've got an awesome family. You're grounded in a religion that you really love. You've got all of your temporal needs met. Like, what is it that's, why do you still feel empty and depressed sometimes? And I, I look around and I see my other friends who were kind of at that stage, Brandon, I hate to admit it, but we're, we're in the midlife crisis stage where it seems that all a lot of my friends have climbed the to the top of the mountain, so to speak, in all of the things that the world would say are success. And they're they're at the top of this first mountain going, like, why why am I still miserable? And and I wonder, Brandon, if if part of this question is, is and I'd like to hear what you think about this, but I wonder if we've been sold a batch of lies about what real success is. And we almost feel cheated when we finally achieve all of those things and realize that what we were chasing didn't produce what we thought it would in terms of how we feel about ourselves. All right. So say more about that. We've been sold a batch of lies about what success is. Yeah. Like, um, so, so, so I'm thinking, you know, everything, our, our, what our culture promotes is, is that when you reach a certain dollar amount in your bank account, that means you will have arrived. When you reach a certain position at work, that means you will have arrived. I mean, heaven forbid a stay-at-home mom in our world feels successful because you, they have it rammed down their throat all the time that success is having a career and climbing to the top of the chain. Um, you know, it's all everything seems geared towards some type of attainment, some type of uh, some type of whether that's power or money or or whatever else you would look at when we get there, we end up still having a life that feels hollow and shallow. And along the way, I wonder, and I, I think that this is true, that we actually end up surrendering and giving up the things in our lives that actually produce the most fulfillment because they aren't the things that we've been taught equal success. Okay. So are, is what you're saying, like I could, I could make a lot of money. I could even help a lot of people. I could, um, have a, a good successful family and all of those things and still be somewhat miserable. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. 
Okay. And we could even, even, even on a certain level, be doing some level of good in the world, but it's the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view our lives that, that is actually part of the problem, even if we're still doing good in the world. Tyler, this starts at really young age. So you start watching Disney movies and it's like, okay, I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to end up with a castle on the hill with a really amazing love story. And um, that's what life kind of is supposed to turn into. And I think for some people it does turn into that. And a lot of times they still find that it's empty. And then for other people, it doesn't turn into that and they're striving for it and trying to get it and trying to get it. And there's still an emptiness to that. Um, yeah. I was, it, well, go ahead. No, I, I, just to go along with that, I was just thinking of the book uh, by Clayton Christensen. He was a Harvard professor, business professor, and he wrote a book called How you, Will You Measure Your Life? And the whole reason he wrote the book is that it was out of a class he designed because here he is at Harvard. These are like top students in the whole country. And he'd find that they'd graduate from Harvard. They'd get these amazing jobs out of school, high, high dollar amounts. And then they would be back two, three, four years later in complete depression, feeling totally empty. But everyone else around them is going, you have the perfect life. And mm -hmm. so he went and created a, a course based off of business theories about maybe a different way to think about how we measure our lives than, than the traditional ways that we measure them. Okay. And could you share some of those differences? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's the kinds of things that sometimes feel a little bit intangible, right? It's man, like, and we, this is stuff that goes right along with recovery that we always talk about is real recovery is about the reclamation of your heart and the reclamation of your heart is about, is about sort of working through and casting aside all of the calluses and false agreements and beliefs that we've formed about ourselves over the years until we come to a place where God can tell us who we are. And then we go and we act accordingly based off of the answers we get from God about who we are. So then that means, you know, I don't, I don't know that, you know, God hasn't told me, Tyler, you're going to be the wealthiest man in the world. What God has told me as I've done my own wrestle is he's told me things like you're a teacher you're a guide, you're, you're a warrior for truth. You're a good husband. You're those things. And when I, when I live in accordance with those answers that I've kind of come through, through the work of recovery, I do find that my life is more fulfilling because it's like, I'm being congruent to, to who I was designed to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, oh, I, I think you're nailing it. And so if, if I'm a mid-aged person who fills this void and this emptiness, no matter what kind of I've created in my life around me, if I'm filling that void and that emptiness, would you say that that's just feedback? That That's feedback telling me that I'm not really in my purpose, that, that, that as much as I thought that I was, you know, maybe mom, not fully, maybe partially. Yeah. But not fully. And, 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 and I would say there's a correlation, the more out of my purpose I am, the more I'm going to feel suffering and miserable. Um, and so even if on the outside, it looks like I'm creating everything that I should, maybe, maybe there's something different for me. And mm -hmm. maybe that, that different thing has nothing to do with all these messages of all the things that I should have. Um, I love what you just said. I believe that our peace and our freedom comes through our alignment with God and, and alignment with truth. When I am living in accordance to that um, purpose, I feel alive. And when I'm not, 
I feel blah. I feel something missing. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast years ago and I think it was Reba McIntyre. She said, we ask kids the wrong question. We always ask them, what do they want to be when they grow up? And they'll say a doctor or a fireman or whatever. But the question we really should be asking is what has God made you for? I love that. You know, and what, what gifts and talents and abilities are inside of you and what has God made you for? And to pursue that question and to figure that out will bring happiness, I believe. Yeah. Um, I wonder, Brandon, everything we should. So, so basically instead, like a lot of our listeners are going to be in this kind of middle age place that we are at, maybe a place that you're suggesting that we would start is if I'm feeling that sense of maybe there's a void or maybe that blah feeling that you feel, even though you're standing at the edge of like having achieved a lot of the things that you've set out to achieve, maybe pulling back from that, not necessarily giving those things up, but asking the question, uh, who was I designed to be? Who did God design me to be? And then, and then actually doing some, maybe some real targeted work in that area where there might be some journaling and there might be some pondering and there might be some wrestling and there might even be some, a little bit of experimentation with some of those things that start to rise to the surface as to who is it that God designed me to be instead of what targets do I need to hit? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what, Tyler, there's some clues. And so like, like, let me ask you this. Why do you like UFC? No, I, I love the UFC. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah, I, I, I love it. And the reason, the reason that I love it, and this, this is your, your spot on with your question here, is, is that there's one of the things in my life that I love the most is when I see, when I, either when I'm in the arena and I've given everything that I can for the cause of whatever that arena is, that's how it was in sports. I was never the most talented guy, but I always had heart. And so when I see the UFC, I see people put real consequence on the line and they put their whole heart and soul into, into the arena. And I love that. That's one of my favorite things in the world. I love that track with my daughters. I love that in the UFC. That's why I love sports so much. So there's a, there's a clue there about who you are and who God made you to be. And if let's say you just watched UFC and you were living vicariously through UFC with this, and that's all you did is just wished that you could jump in the arena in some way. You just wish that you could, you would fill that void. It would, it, it, right. But you are jumping in the arena. I, I, I know it cause I do it with you. Um, and so you're, you're, you're laying it on the line. You're, you're giving it your all. You're fighting a battle against something that, that you feel like is uh, really kind of ferocious and, and nasty. Um, and so do you feel like you do that? Yeah. And, and in lots of different areas and arenas, you know, and it's like, that's exactly right, Brandon. That's a great question that we could be asking ourselves is, what are those things that we do find a lot of passion for and why do they speak to us so much? Because that's probably a direct reflection on the very things that resonate within us. Now, the trick is, and this is a, this is a good example you're bringing up, is if I sit and eat pie and chips while I watch the UFC and then never do anything with my own need to be in the arena, I'm actually going to cause myself more suffering. And this is where the catch of social media comes in. This is the catch of other forms of media 
is, is they're so captivating and they take up our time and our energy and our resources sometimes to the point that we don't allow ourselves to actually be in those arenas that we're at, we're getting that itch scratch through our media. But if right. we use it in, in reverse and say, Oh, I can see why I love this so much. What am I going to do in my own life? You know, I, I obviously, I, one of my bucket list items is to be in one like ultimate fighting situation, just to say that I've done it and to like, just run across the arena and do a flying knee. And then I'll probably get my butt kicked. But, <laughs> but I've, I've always wanted to do that. But other than that, I do have my own arenas and my arena happens to be in the realm of overcoming trauma and shame and recovery. And, and I find a lot of deep passion in that um, because, because my life is such that that experience has allowed me to grow so much. And, and so, yes, I can place, I can put that principle you're talking about into my life in those areas, but the action still has to take place. Yes. Because I think one of the big problems that we have is this pseudo purpose that, I mean, we, we've talked about video games in the past. Um, it's, you know, bi capitalism has, has packaged up um, these things that we're drawn to in a, and distilled it down to a very potent form. And so I can, I can play video games all day long. I can, you know, like football is one of mine. I love watching football. I can watch a football game every, every day, almost Absolutely. of the week now. Um, and so here's the thing, like, like football, I could sit there and watch football over and over and over again. When I look at it, the reason I love football way more than just like, if I were watching like basketball or I love strategy, I love strategy, every play like, what are you going to call and what defense are you going to? And so, like, I can just kind of watch the strategy of a game, regardless of who's playing. Um, I take that into my business. And so I strategize and it's part of a, it's part of the game, right? It's, and, and there, it does something for me. Um, if I just sat on the couch and ate potato chips and watched someone else play, then I'm, I'm going to feel that void. I'm going to be thinking, God, I want to go back to that. It's addicting because I want it so badly, mm -hmm. yet it, there's something missing there. In, in some ways, it almost becomes its own form of lust, whether that's through football or pornography or, or wanting the next big house or, or whatever else it is. It's like when I'm left just wanting something that I don't have, that's lust. And instead I need to be in the business. So, so you just answered your own question for that. You asked me a second ago, in some ways, basically what I'm hearing you say is, is that God has built you to be a strategist. Yeah. Right. And, and when you actually accept that part of yourself and then you go and take action on those things, that's what then starts to yield this sort of like passion inside of you, this sense of fulfillment and whether you win or you lose the fact that you knew you were in the game doing the strategy was more important than even whether you win or you lose. Right. Right. I think Tyler, I think we don't think enough about legacy. So we just think about day in and day out. I wake up and I got to like support my family and like, you know, do the things I'm supposed to. But if you really look at your life and you're laying on your deathbed one day and you look back on it and you say, I fulfilled my legacy what is that legacy? And it's different for you than it is for me. 
and it's different for every single person. And so it's not just automatically there in front of you, you know, maybe for like Mozart, it was, or, you know, Michael Jordan or whatever, but usually it's not that obvious. And the way that you figure that out is by stepping into that arena that you're talking about. Sometimes you get your butt kicked. Um, but you, you start to figure it out as you, as you allow yourself to explore what you're really good at. That's, that's really awesome. I, I know I mentioned this in the past, but I heard a talk one time titled, you know, what did you do today that will make a difference in a thousand years? And that's a question I often ask my daughters. And it's obviously you sit and you ask that question to yourself. And I go, there might be nothing I do in my day to day that will even be around in a thousand years. But, but if we're looking that way and saying, okay, what is the best way to make my life meaningful today? Then if I do that one step at a time, one day at a time, consistently over time, I actually end up having a legacy that, mm-hmm. that looks back and, you know, there, whether that's going to be with my own children or grandchildren or whatever other marks we leave on the world. Um, the interesting answer to that question, when I ask myself that question is, is that it always comes back to making the lives of somebody else better. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is no other real legacy that has much meaning, at least in my life, than than somehow knowing that I left the world a better place than I found it in whatever way God has called me to do that. Right. And I happen to work in this arena. You, you happen to work in the same arena. Maybe that's where we're called right now. But even our stories are a little bit different and you, you kind of are geared towards helping certain people in that arena <clears throat> differently than I am. And that's, all part of finding that congruence of who you are. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who, who has, has some great business ideas, like really good business ideas. And he sits back and he, he wishes that he would follow through with one of them. And he, he has this void and he has this kind of depression and, you know, he makes just enough money to be really comfortable. And it's like, dude, like, come on, like go. Let's, let's do this thing. And it's interesting what you were just saying. You know, it always comes back to helping people. Well, if I'm an engineer and I make a widget that, you know, helps a car or something drive better, am I helping people? Yep. Yeah. Um, Steve Harvey talks about his buddy who mows lawns and he's like, my buddy who mows lawns, he is so good at mowing lawns. He's the best. He's the best. And and he owns that and he, and so it, I think from, from your and my standpoint of like, yeah, we're therapists and we help people and blah, 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 blah. That's all great. Um, but for anybody listening, you don't have to be a life coach or a therapist in order to really step into your purpose. In fact, God has made you specifically to create something on this earth. And if you're, if you're miserable, if you're in your mid age, then you're missing whatever that is. And you need to go on that hero's journey to kind of figure that out. And as you go on that journey, it's not so much about getting to the finish line. It's the journey itself. That's going to give you life. It's the, it's the stepping into that process and, and watching things happen around you that are going to be hard and exciting and, and all these things. But one of the big problems, Tyler, with this whole life purpose thing is comfort. 
we work our butts off to try to get comfortable. And it's so important to live on the edge a little bit. You got to live on the edge just a little bit um, to continue to step into that purpose. You got to take risks. You got to be vulnerable. You got to practice courage in order to feel that. And I think that's what a lot of people don't want to do. They're working really, really hard to get to that income level or to get to that good enough place with their spouse, you know, where they're not going to get divorced, but that's about as far as they go. Right. And then, and then to go a little bit further, you always have to put yourself back out on that edge just a little bit more. And that's, but that's where we grow. Right. You know, I think like I'm a fisherman, you know, I think I've used this analogy before, but, but when you learn to fish in a river, you start to look for certain spots where the biggest fish are going to hold because the biggest fish get the best spots. Right. And where the biggest fish hold in a river is where they found a spot where they can conserve their energy a little bit and be just comfortable enough, but they're close enough to the actual current running by and that they go out into the current where that's where they actually get fed. And so they have the best feeding lanes because they've got enough protection, but they're also out in the current feeding when they feed. And in a certain way, that's sort of what like, I, I look at life that way, where life is best live in what you call the seams, where the water is right between slow and fast. That spot in the seam is where the biggest fish are. That's the, that's where life is lived is in the seams. I need to be stretching myself just enough. You know, this goes into like the concept they'll, they'll, of, they'll go into the fast water when some food comes by. They will. They right. have to go into the fast water. In fact, they look for places. They don't go hide in like the, the stagnant water. They actually find a pocket that's a little bit less. And then they dart into the seams and they'll actually swim in the current to, to yeah. feed. And, yep. and I think that that's the same thing that's true in our lives, in in fact, the research on if you've heard of flow, you know, the concept of flow is where, mm -hmm. you know, people say they get in the zone and they the zone is like this amazing place where you're at your peak performance and you're just fully engaged in the moment and you just kind of like you can't miss basically. Uh what they found with flow is that you need to be in a situation where you're going to lose about 40 to 60% of the time in order for you to even be in a state of flow, which means there has to be a little bit of risk, even though there's still a possibility of succeeding. And, and so we should be looking for a way in our lives to, to set ourselves up in that situation where we're not always going to win, but we're not always going to like not lose because we're not in the game. We need to be in the game just enough where we could lose, but we could also win. And then that's where we grow at the fastest potential rate. You know, I think Tyler, it's, it's easy to kind of look at this, um, through the lens of career, you know, like what I do day in and day out and what my career is, but what you just said also holds true for relationship. Um, you know, if I get to a really comfortable place with my spouse where I don't take too many risks, but you know, we kind of live together and whatever, just getting by, have sex, you know, here occasionally and, and, uh, you know, we don't fight. We, we raise the kids. But like real, real intense intimacy requires vulnerability, requires living on that edge in that relationship a little bit, being honest, even if it's, even if it's difficult, even if you could get rejected, being open, um, even if your partner might have a hard time with that. And if you, the, you know, you, you don't have to go like at, to the very depths of things right off the bat, 
But if you're unwilling to push that at all, then you don't truly get to know each other. Um, yeah, and, right. And there's there's a void there, and and that's going to continue as you grow. So I think this is this is just my own theory of change a little bit, Brandon. But I think that we're hardwired to need to grow for our entire lives. And the minute mm-hmm. that we stop growing is the minute that we actually start to incur feelings of hopelessness and depression. And, you know, you look at old, older people who are kind of in that like twilight of their lives where that's the thing they have to battle the most is something called generativity versus stagnation. And those who find a way to stay generative, those who find a way to find purpose and continue to grow, it's like they they maintain better levels of physical health, emotional health. They let, they live longer. And those who end up in stagnation, it's just part of life. It's like, we just got done with Thanksgiving. I just got done with this conversation with Chase. We had four days off because of the Thanksgiving holiday where we did nothing but basically hang out, watch the world cup, eat pies and <laughs> junk food. And I was like this amazing, awesome weekend. And come Sunday, midday Sunday, I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, man, that was an awesome weekend. Why do I feel so blah? Like, you know, like, and I, I sounds said, like Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. And I said, I think, I think I was out of work for too long. Like, not that I, not that I need to be a workaholic like I am, but like, I needed to be doing something to stretch myself. I needed to pause for a minute and rest and relax. But if I stay in that state for too long, I'm actually going to be causing myself more suffering. Yes. I need to, we need to be growing as human beings. Yep, that stagnation really creates that feeling of blah of of nothingness. And a- absolutely, Tyler. Um so what are we kind of suggesting here? Yeah, you know, so let's, if you're, let's if you're get... feeling this, you know, what are we saying? Yeah, let's maybe maybe we could uh, actually get to some actionables based on some principles for them. Yeah. Um, the golden handcuffs of life need to be taken off. And what that means is if you're feeling these feelings, then look at it as feedback and understand that the places where you've really settled into comfort and maybe, maybe quitting your job is the right thing to do. Maybe starting that business is the right thing to do. Um, maybe, maybe haven't, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say maybe staying in your job, but changing the way you view it is the right thing to do. Or changing the way that you handle your coworkers and your boss and, and take risks. Maybe you'll get fired but, or, and, or maybe you'll be more productive and create crazy things at work because you took those risks. Um, but it's, it's removing the golden handcuffs, not living in that state of fear and comfort um anymore i love Um, that brandon i think those those would be indicators of places that you might start to find some answers for yourself is where do i get paralyzed by fear is a great question to ask because that's probably a place where there's a seam so to speak that you need to step into you know have you have you seen that uh limitless show by chris hemsworth on disney do you know what that is I think I've it's seen on, parts it's on of Disney it. Plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically he does seven. I think it's seven um, different things that really push him into some discomfort in his life. And like, for example, one of them is he goes up to the Arctic and has to like swim across this body of water 
um, in just shorts, not a, not a wetsuit <laughs> in the Arctic. Yeah. He has to fast for four days. Um, he has to go like uh, on this big crane, like on this building and deal with heights. And, and, and it's interesting because he's, he's intentionally doing these things um, because they're good for him. And so he talks through the science of like why getting in that cold water is really good for him or why facing a stressful situation like walking across this crane is, is good for him to learn how to breathe and focus and handle stress. And, and it just goes to show that we, we feel alive through the discomfort. And I do think it's important to practice discomfort regularly and to push into that regularly. Um, and, and, and I think that that will help you feel alive. I agree with you. You said something that I think is really important, and this has got some research behind it too, is that the difference between, say, that cold water that he subjects himself to being a positive experience versus a negative experience is actually his mindset and the intention with which he does it. Yes. Right. Uh, if If I see that as a negative, horrible thing, Number one, I'm going to suffer more, and I'm also not going to get the benefits physiologically that would you've come. just punished yourself, right? Versus seeing it through a lens of intentionally doing it because it's good for me, and then all of a sudden, my my mechanism of my body actually interprets this as a good thing. It's like exercise now, right? And and so it's the intentionality with which you pursue that discomfort. It's the attitude with which you pursue the discomfort. You know, if if, if something happens today that doesn't go well in your life where you get in a fight with your spouse or maybe you get chewed out by your boss or something, um, the intentionality with, with how you respond to that is actually going to either increase your suffering or it'll increase your resilience and it'll all right. be in the mindset with which you receive it. Right. I, I'm thinking about our producer, Chase, who, who just chose to go do stand-up comedy for the first time. <laughs> he just did it and, a couple of weeks ago. And you think about it, it's like, you know, think of all the benefits of that. You know, the, the, the different chemicals released in his body, the adrenaline, the dopamine, um, just the feeling alive. I think it also probably helped him connect to his spouse who was there supporting him and like there with him and helping him fulfill a dream and laughing with him. Um, he took a risk and he felt called to go do that thing. And so most people wouldn't do that because that's really uncomfortable and really scary. Um, and he totally could have bombed it. And I don't know whether he did or not. I kind of hope he did. Cause that'd be a funny story. Um, <laughs> he actually did pretty well. Actually. I, I watched Good. it on video. It was great. Good. Yeah. Um, so anyways, to wrap this up, Tyler, we're, we're not t telling people to throw cheese, uh, you know, across <laughs> aisles and but just that, be, that, we're not, we're not talking about being reckless. Yeah. We're right. not talking about, we're talking about deliberately stepping into what God is calling you to do and, and, and noticing the fear and noticing, I call them, I call them your, your threshold guardians, the, the, the voices that say, Oh no, 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 you better not. You better not. You better stay comfortable. You get to know those guardians. You get to know that fear. You step through that fear and you step into what that purpose is. And as you discover that um, you will start to feel alive. And as you lay on your deathbed one day, you'll look back and say, you know what? I did everything I could to fulfill my legacy and life was good.
life was hard. It was exciting. I lived on the edge. I had adventure. I had a war. I battled for things and life was good. So I love that, Brandon. Just to recap really quickly on some of the things that that could be some actionables to take away from today is to number one, ask yourself what you already have passion about and find the principle inside the passion and then convert that into some type of action in your own life. Look for the places where you feel fear and, and wherever that fear is, there's probably some form of action that can take place there. And if you'll do those things consistently over time, you will feel alive. You will have feeling something other than that emptiness that you feel when you've hit that zone of comfort. All right, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks, man. Have a a wonderful day. day. We'll see you. See you.